Hi, everyone. Happy Monday, happy May, and happy Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm so excited for you all to hear this episode with McKenna. Um, She's truly an inspiration. I'm so happy that I met her and that she came into my life at the time that she did. And I think the topic that we speak about today is is so important. And, you know, at first I, when I was thinking about how it's Mental Health Awareness Month and I really want to talk to a lot of people about topics very specific, specific to mental health and different modalities of treatment and things like that. And I was like, is this in line with, um, you know, the, like what I want to talk about? Because we recorded this episode a, like a month back or so. And so I wasn't sure. But then I thought about my own mental health this past year and what affected it. And I realized, you know what, this is actually (laughs) very relevant to what I went through. And in this, in the spirit of transparency and vulnerability, I think it's actually perfect to, to kick off the month with this discussion. Um, so before I jump into my conversation with McKenna, I kind of want to give some context as to why this topic is so important to me. And, just I guess like a quick recap of the past let's say you know nine months or so um so you all just get a better understanding of I guess just so I can be open about my mental health because I try to do that as much as possible with my podcast so um to be completely honest this past year has been really really difficult for me um I went through a really 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 dark place um from around like July through December and it was very sudden I looking back on it now realize that what I thought was happiness and fulfillment was really I like not built on a strong foundation I think my happiness in Austin over the past year was really like a house of cards and then um when I went through what I talk about in this episode it all just kind of came crashing down and I was left feeling so lonely. And, you know, I started this podcast to open up that conversation about loneliness to say, why is it possible that we feel the most lonely when we're surrounded by so many people? And like, how is it possible to feel like that when you're not actually alone? And I'll, I'll, you know, to be completely honest, I felt so alone for those four months um, in the fall and I really was in a dark place and I think you know I talk about this with McKenna but at least for me and I think for a lot of people hopefully for a lot of people friendships are you know I value my friendships more than anything in the world more than relate like more than romantic relationships more than anything because my friends are my rock and they always happen and so when that was shattered, I really questioned everything and um, it was really hard. And when I, you know, went away for two months, December and January and decided to quit drinking at the time, I didn't realize it, but I, I really, I mean, I talk about my sobriety a lot now, but I am a hundred percent serious when I say I think it truly saved my life like 
I don't think I realized how much of a bad place I was in until I stopped drinking and could have the space and clarity to reflect on everything that happened. And in doing so, I've finally had peace and come to terms with everything that happened and made peace with everything that happened. So, I mean, I mean, on one hand, it's I'm sad that it took such a big decision like sobriety to help me get that clarity and and feel like I can actually <laughs> move forward and and like hold on to and make the best out of these last months I have in Austin. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I am so grateful for my sobriety and I truly, I think, I mean, I hate the saying, <laughs> I ask every, uh, podcast, but you know, does everything happen for a reason? Like I have trouble with that question, but I do think that if, I don't know if I would have made the decision to stop drinking if this all hadn't happened. So I'm very, very, very grateful that I had the um, time to process everything and the clarity to do so. And and where McKenna intersects with all this is I actually, when, like right when I got back to Austin in fe- early February, I was so nervous to be back, so nervous. I really thought I was just going to like, you know, put my head in a book and study for social work and I was counting down the days till I was moving back to New York and then I met McKenna at a uh, sober event run by uh, or that uh, Joanne Irizarry had set up and I was so excited to you know support Joanne and all of her um, endeavors in the non-alcoholic world so to speak and I met McKenna and we just started chatting and I don't even know how it came up but she just like asked how everything was going in Austin and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous to be back and I started sharing my own story about some things that happened in my personal life, friendships, and she said, you know, that same thing happened to me and I was like, well, wow, I can't believe this woman who seems to have it all together like experienced something so traumatic like I did and, and she felt the same way that it was like truly traumatic, like it wasn't just an exaggeration or gossip or whatever and so speaking to her made me feel like, okay, I have some, like, this is legitimate feelings that these are legitimate feelings that I'm experiencing. And so all that is to say is I'm really, really grateful that I had the chance to unpack this topic with her more, um, on this episode. And I hope you all enjoy, um, if you experience anything like this, reach out to me. I'm happy to listen and, and, you know, invent and, and whatever I, I think the I think it needs to be talked about more and I guess to like end this on a positive note I'm truly feeling so much better and I think it's a combination of being sober but also then healing the wounds of when I was still drinking and not process and and you know I, I'm slowly building up a new house but it's not made out of guards it's out of love and true friendships and family and just, and Winky, who's been crying this entire time in the background. So without further ado, here's McKenna, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm so excited to be here with McKenna Sage, who is a life coach, 
business strategist, and reinvention catalyst who helps women step into who they are meant to be so they can live the lives beyond their wildest dreams. Thank you so much for being here, McKenna. And yeah, I'm excited to finally get to talk to you. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Um, So why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How old are you? Uh, What do you do for work, you know, beyond what I just mentioned? And what's your story? Yeah. So um, I'm 34, 35 this summer. I grew up in Austin, Texas mostly, but um, had kind of an unconventional upbringing. I was homeschooled K through 12. My mom has been a coach, like a life coach and business coach for 37 years. So we were homeschooled and we would travel growing up. So I was actually born in Hawaii, kind of grew up in Texas. We would spend summers in Europe and winters in Hawaii for a lot of my childhood, lived in New York City, went to school in Rhode Island. I'm kind of from a lot of places, (laughs) studied abroad for a while in Argentina um, and lived in San Diego for six years before I found my way back to Austin. So that's the quick version of where I lived. (laughs) And um, (laughs) life story outside of that, I guess the fairly quick rundown of that is um, after being homeschooled, I went to business school. I thought I wanted to go the corporate route and, you know, as high achiever, straight A student and thought that's what would make me, you know, successful. And so went to business school. And after four years, you know, even though I did really well on paper, I found myself, um, feeling really out of alignment with like who I am. I don't really know how to describe that, except I didn't feel quite happy or fulfilled, And so rather than going the corporate route in the end, I ended up starting a business six months later. And my first business was in online marketing. This was back in 2012. And so I did online marketing and copywriting, and I ended up doing that for speakers and authors and experts and coaches. And it was great. I built that business to six figures quickly. um, And still within a few years, I started to kind of get that like tug or that whisper, like there's something more you're meant to be doing. And so that led me on a whole journey, which is a longer story, but I was having health issues, anxiety, panic attacks, burnout, like all this stuff was showing up that finally had me go like, Hmm, maybe I need to listen to that whisper and not just kind of push it aside. And so 2017 tried and failed to start a coaching business. (laughs) 2018 finally got the courage to try again and actually got support and then uh, was able to replace my six-figure income quickly, step fully into coaching, and then built a multiple six-figure coaching business from there, which totally changed my life. Anxiety went away, health cleared up. Um, and I love, love, love the work that I do. That's so cool. I mean, you have such a unique story just from, I mean, it sounds like you were ho- homeschooled from K through 12, right? So like- yeah. And living everywhere. And your mom was a life coach, correct? Or is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like growing up with a mom who was a life coach? I wish she was a life coach. <laughs> <laughs> she could use some life coaching. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I really didn't know anything different. You know, I wasn't in school, like exposed to that, you know, many other people. Nobody knew what a coach was back then, by the way. Like I would tell people my parents were coaches and they'd be like, are they football coaches? Yeah, like, ah, different kind of coaching. Um, so I feel like it was just kind of like 
weird back then. Nobody really got it. Right. And the whole, like, we were basically living a digital nomad lifestyle before digital was a thing, right. Traveling and all Mm -hmm. this stuff, but it wasn't cool back then either. So, um, but in terms of having her, I, I feel so blessed, you know, because I was raised with, um, just so much awareness of like, and messages around like follow your heart and your passion. And I always laugh that in spite of all of that, I still went with my head over my heart for all those years. But I would say like no one kind of escapes their own hero's journey. We all have to go on their journey and kind of away from ourselves at some point to find our way back. Um, So I had a lot of really great um, inputs at a young age and a lot of communication tools at a young age. Um, and I mean, still to this day, I think my family and my relationship is huge. My marriage is like literally a result of what I've learned from my mom over the years. My husband will say the same thing because yeah, so, so many blessings in so many ways. And it's actually part of why I'm so passionate about what I do is because most people don't grow up with that. And I'm like, everybody, everybody deserves to have these tools. Everybody deserves to have someone in their life, like my mom, who's a believer in them. Yeah. Um, part of why I wanted to become a coach. That's so cool. There's this concept. I don't know if it's actually a concept or if my mom just made it up, but it's of like of a charismatic adult. And Mm. it's like every person has one charismatic adult or needs to have one charismatic adult in their life who kind of just encourages them to, you know, be their authentic selves. And for me, that was my grandma. Like when I was little, she would encourage me to be silly and put band-aids all over myself and just be like this goofy little amazing child. And, you know, she was constantly telling me how amazing I was when a lot of other people in my life were telling me how bad I was and how, um, because I was also a dramatic child. And Mm -hmm. I think that's like what you said is so important. Someone, you, everyone deserves to have someone cheering them on and, you know, celebrating their wins and, sold them through their losses. And I think that's so cool that you get to be that person for so many people. Thank you. Yeah. And I really wasn't exposed to, we're going to, I know we're going to talk today about kind of the mean girl experience and um, it's not something I was exposed to growing up the way most people are. So for me, I had this stark contrast of not having experienced that and then going into university and having my first experiences there. And then as an adult, still having those experiences and going like, what is this about, you know, and having to reconcile that. So I feel very blessed in one way. I didn't have it younger. Um, And I think in some ways it hit me harder because I I didn't even know it was a thing. (laughs) That's yeah, exactly what I was going to kind of transition into. So um, for some quick background, so I had the whole you know, seventh grade was in a group of friends who, or had a group of friends who, you know, my parents were like, don't hang out with those people. We don't like those people, but I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be popular. And then at the drop of the hat, seventh grade turned into eighth grade. And all of a sudden they just dropped me like a fly. And in my last year of school, which was already really hard, I was extreme. I was really aggressively bullied by the the boys in that class and it was hard and I think the good thing about that experience is that it happened when a like one it happened when I was like what 13 or 14 so I was young enough to um bounce back quickly 
but also it really ingrained this mentality in me of like, you don't need to social climb. You don't need like, you shouldn't social climb. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, what your friend group is, as long as they're kind people. And then for that reason, I think I developed and maintained very good, healthy relationships with other women, um, pretty much up until a couple years ago. And then mm-hmm. kind of, as you said, I had a very similar experience when I, where I was dropped by a group of people at the age of 26. And I was like, what the heck? Like, what? I thought that, like, I thought I was immune to this. I thought I learned from this. I had my, you know, middle school bullying situation occur. Why is this happening again? I thought I was better at discerning people, like, people mm. in my life. I thought, or I thought I was good at, you know, picking and choosing the people who I know mean well and are good hearted. And it came as such a surprise, I think, because I thought I had already experienced that and I thought I knew better, but in, you know, with hindsight being 2020, I now see the red flags. I now see that you know, everyone else who met these people didn't like them. My closest friends mm-hmm. didn't like them. My sister didn't like them. But at the same time, when you're new to a place and it sounds like you've been new to a lot of places, I think it's really easy to, you know, grab onto any sense of community because or anyone who makes you feel like you belong. And I fell into that trap and it's taken a while for me to learn to forgive myself for doing that. So I, I'd love to hear about your experience, especially growing up as you said, without, you know, no experience of middle school or high school bullying, (laughs) to my knowledge, and then Mm -hmm. entering university and, you know, having that experience and then it happening again. Yeah. Yeah. In university, it was, it was just like drinking from a fire hose of like social dynamics. And I remember thinking like, wow, not in a trying to be better than way in any way, but I just was like, wow, these people seem so young. Like they're acting like kids, you know, it's just like the dynamics that were playing out I was just like, this is crazy, right? I did not expect this in college. I'd seen it on TV or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I can't, I do remember like s- specific instances. I don't even really remember what they were about. I don't even know if there's often that much underneath these kinds of things, right? If there's like real, I mean, maybe sometimes like real basis for it, but I do remember often feeling like I didn't fit in with women, partially because there was a lot of drama and a lot of gossip and these things and dynamics that I just didn't really understand. And so I tended to gravitate towards hanging out with guys more because it felt more like what you see is what you get kind of thing. Um, And so definitely had some challenging experiences with roommates or groups of women in in college that were, you know, hard. And um, the big one for me was the one that you and I were talking about when we met, which was when we moved to Austin, moved back to Austin a few years ago. And I had found an incredible friend group in San Diego when I lived there, like amazing friends who felt like family, you know, you could really show up and be your true authentic self. A lot of them were coaches or, you know, kind of into that kind of thing. And growing up when nobody knew what that was, I was like, oh my gosh, there are people who are into the same things I am. Like I never thought this would happen. And so moving to Austin, my now husband and I were really looking for, you know, that like to find our version of that here. And I met a couple people that I kind of vibed with. And and then one other person in that kind of group um, 
was really good at like community building. And that's something that I was always really good at. You know, when I lived in San Diego, me and one other guy kind of helped bring the community together there. So I was like, this is great. So we started like putting events together and stuff. And then sort of like people came in that felt like, oh, these could be, we were all couples and like, these could be our people. And like you said, looking back now, I can see maybe some of the quote unquote red flags for me, those would be And if I ever were to find myself in a situation like this again, I would hope that these would show up sooner. For for me, the the one thing that we would talk about even at the time, my husband and I, was we didn't feel like we could show up fully authentically as ourselves. Like there was this feeling like we had to like things had to look a certain way or, you know, we couldn't be totally open and vulnerable or we might be judged in some way. And that was not present in our friend groups before it was like, you show up as you. And if, you know, if somebody doesn't like it, you have a conversation about it, but it's like very up and up in front. Right. So that feeling of kind of like having to keep up was there a lot. And then like, um, there was a lot of expectation, like you had to show up for certain things and things. And then there started to be a lot of feeling of like exclusivity in the group. Like you had to either be in the group or out and like other people couldn't really be in it if they weren't a you know couple or they weren't whatever. And it was like, started to feel really like exhausting. Um, so those were some of the signs I think early on. And by the way, it was couples, but it was ended up being like a kind of mean girl experience in the end. I do want to say a couple of things about this from like a hindsight perspective and from like a coaching perspective. Um, one of which is most of the time mean girl dynamics are unconscious. Like women don't realize they're doing it. They're not typically actively trying to go out and be mean. You see Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? They're playing out patterns, things that they learned from when they were younger, from school that, you know, made them the popular kid or whatever it is that kind of make them feel better. So that doesn't justify it, but it is something to be aware of is they're not even typically aware of what they're doing. Right. And then something somebody told me before I met my husband that really stuck with me. And now I use it as a barometer for friends too. Um, I was ready to meet my life partner. I was actively looking for that person. And I had a crush on this guy, but, you know, every time I was with him, I kind of felt like not good enough, or I felt like I had to like show up in this certain way. And he still didn't like, you know, like me the way I thought. And someone said to me, she said, McKenna, the most important thing in choosing a partner is the way they make you feel like the way you feel when you're around them. Like, do they bring out the best in you? And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so right. And so now in my friend groups too, it's like, I didn't feel like they brought out the best in me. Like I got to really show up as my full authentic self. I felt a little bit like I needed to, right? So that's just like a thing that people can kind of um, maybe use that are listening and thinking about their friendships. So I don't know if you want me to go into the whole story of like what happened or where you want me to go from here, but you tell me. Yeah, I think it's really interesting hearing this and I can share a little bit about my story and then I'd, I'd love to hear more because I'm I'm wondering if it's also something not unique to Austin, but maybe unique to cities like Austin where everyone, I mean, not everyone, obviously you lived here when you were younger, but there, I don't know many people who are from here. Most of the people I know here moved here either after college or during COVID um, or, you know, moved here within the like the past five years. And I think that translates into a culture of 
well, for one thing, I mean, Neverland, like everyone, it, you know, is, has at least all of the people that I socialize with have jobs that allow them to, you know, kind of get off at work at three o'clock and um, go out a lot and drink heavily and kind of relive that college experience while also meeting a ton of new people. And everyone has this, it's almost like the first year of college all over again. And I think that lends itself to both good and bad. On one hand, I've never felt so welcomed into a city until I moved to Austin. It's like the polar opposite of New York where people, you know, who live in New York and for the most part, or at least the people I knew, they knew they were moving to New York since they came out of the womb. Like, you know, that was their 22 year mission or whatever. And people mostly hung out with who they went to college with or who they grew up with or high school with. Whereas in Austin, it's a lot of making new friends and um, making friend groups. And what you said earlier about, you know, people do this subconsciously, maybe reliving their high school glory days of when they were the queen bee or, um, you know, excluding and getting a high off of that. And I think- Or, or they were the ones being excluded and now mm-hmm. they're, you know, turning that around so they don't have to feel that way anymore. Exactly. And whether it's conscious or not, I think that is really apparent here where exactly like you said, I- my red flag, which I I remember reflecting on with my therapist, was that whenever I was with these people, I always had to – I felt like I had to make myself smaller. Like mm-hmm. I tended to be like the loudest friend in the room and the the one who, even if I was stone cold sober, would jump on a table and dance and be silly. And I felt – like I couldn't do those things around these group of people and it wasn't conscious. It was like some voice in the back of my head being like, oh, was I too loud just then? Like, was that weird to say? It was like everything it's I It's like did. a self, self-judgment self or a self-aware, like a hyper-awareness of, yeah. Yeah, which I had never done before. And mm-hmm. I think that w- that was the best thing to realize after the fact of, wow, I was really just like, I was shutting myself up. I wasn't being Zoe around these people. And I think the combination of, you know, being sober now and having these people outside out of my life, like I get to be myself again. And I think that's amazing. Granted, again, this was after a lot of crying and why, and what did I do? I don't understand. Um, But I think that's, again, another red flag. And I think there's that saying, I think it's by Maya Angela, when someone shows you who they are, believe, believe them the first time. Mm-hmm. That's another one that I would say to hold on to because when I first met a few of these people, I got a bad vibe. But I didn't listen to it because, again, I didn't know anyone else here. So it was like, well, who else am I going to hang out with? And I think that's a big, a, you know, a, a big sign of like your body, your gut, like they, it knows. And so if someone shows you a side of themselves that like doesn't, don't, doesn't align with your values, listen to that, or at least write it down, note it, put it somewhere so that you can look back and be like, okay, this keeps happening. Maybe 
you know, I'm not meant to be with this person romantically or platonically or as a friend or as whatever. I think what overrides that for a lot of people is the need to belong. Mm -hmm. So they can't even, you know, see or feel the red flags at the time. A lot of the time, I mean, maybe listening to something like this, they could start to become aware. Um, And it's like, we want so desperately to belong. That's part of the human, that's human nature. That's in our psyches and through millennia, because if you were thrown out of the tribe, you probably weren't going to make it. Right. Yeah. So there's this very real, like um, survival instinct that has to do with belonging. And so it's something to be aware of is like, are you looking because you feel accept, you know, it's like you feel like you're accepted or they're like, you feel good around them or whatever. But it's like, is that the true acceptance of all of you? Or is it this, like you're saying, the small version of yourself? And I, you know, I definitely see that with Austin. And I've asked a lot of people, I I didn't know if I would publicly talk about all this when it first happened, because it took a long time for me to be able to even talk about it without crying. Um, and I wanted to be able to share from a centered place, not from a, you know, hurt place or a, you know, yeah. um, and I didn't want to hurt anyone, you know, in the, from that experience. So, um, it was, it was quite a while before I shared about it publicly, but since I have started sharing about it, um, I ask the question to women all the time, like how many of you have had mean girl experiences or we've been really, and it's, it's, without fail everyone in the room basically wow is this people just local to austin or everywhere um in my events that i host all over so i'll just ask that question and yeah almost without fail 90 percent or more of the room i would say i i can't even think of a time when everyone didn't raise their hands yeah yeah and then it's true go ahead Oh, I was going to say that need to belong is so real. And Brene Brown talks a lot about it in Dara, uh, what book is it? Uh, Braving the Wilderness, um, like mm-hmm. true belonging. And and I think, and then uh, who does she speak with um, on the Oprah? I forget who it was. It might even have been Maya Angelou again, uh, but about true belonging and the de- its definition and like how the true belonging is to belong to no one or something but yourself. I completely butchered mm-hmm. the quote, but um, I think it's really interesting that you, you know, bring that up because it's certainly something that I've uh, like oscillated with on one hand, I've felt very comfortable, still feel very comfortable on my own, but you know, once that friendship fallout happened, it was, it's hard being like, who do I tell about my day or like this funny thing happened that I would usually send in the group chat. But it it was like, it's, I don't think people talk enough about friendship fallouts, uh, whether it's from a group that was toxic or just from an individual, which was like, I guess more of the second part um, I wanted to talk about it because I think adult female friendships and just adult friendships in general, but, you know, from uh, the perspective of a, you know, adult woman, I I don't think people talk enough about how nuanced and complicated they are. And then also how hard friendship breakups are. And it's something like I, I was even reading an article about last summer and 
I read a book about it over in January. And then Emily Ratajkowski just posted a, a podcast episode about adult friendships. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's gaining momentum, but it's mm-hmm. still, there's no like, you know, you see breakups happen with like romantic relationships all the time. There's not exactly a playbook, but you know that, you know, it might be best to cut that person out of your life. You know, you grieve, everyone understands. But with a friendship breakup, it's like no one shows you or tell no one tells you that's coming. You know, no one tells you about their first friendship breakup when they're little or or what to do because it's a lot harder. The boundaries are a lot more blurred. And especially, I think, at least for me, moving into my late 20s, I know that my friends are going to start getting married, start having kids, start moving and start becoming, you know, occupied with things that aren't just like, you know, friendships and, and things like that. And because I have as my therapist would say, such anxious attachment towards my friends, I'm really scared for that because my friends are my family. My friends are my rock. I didn't have that stability with my family. And so whenever it's, and it like something rocky happens with friends, I lose my shit and I, and I don't know where to go and I don't know who to talk to because my friends are the people I talk to. And so I was wondering from your experience, especially given that you've moved around so much and, um, I imagine you've met people in all the places you've lived. Like, how have you kept those friendships alive? And have you had to end some of them? Did they end more naturally? What was that like? Hmm. Um, I'm pretty good at keeping friendships alive with traveling and everything. Um, of course, there's been hits and misses and all of that. I would say that's been less of the challenge for me than, like I said, these kind of friendship breakup experiences, especially the one I had a couple years ago. Do you want me to tell that a little bit of that story just so people kind of know what we're talking about here? Yeah. Um. So like I said, we met this friend group. We moved to Austin, started hanging out. I think it was probably over the course of like a year, year and a half that we all bonded we started like a weekly girls night where we would all all the girls would get together and talk when we were in town and the guys would get together sometimes then we'd have different hangouts as a group and we were even planning like little trips and different things and um then COVID hit and a couple of things happened one was I think there were just some differences like I I have no judgment of where people fell on this spectrum, by the way, like even then I didn't in terms of like how careful they were or how not careful they were. um, But, but for myself and my husband, we chose to be quite careful in the beginning because my mom is in her sixties and I spend a lot of time with her. And so, you know, early days, we didn't know what was going on. So we were um, not socializing as much. And we were met with a lot of lack of understanding about that from the friend group, like a lot of judgment and, you know, we would just ask things like, is the gathering going to be outside so we can be a little more, you know, careful. And uh, there was just kind of some rudeness and and judgment there. Um, And then fast forward summer, like, again, we haven't seen these people as much as they've been seeing each other. So there's this feeling like their friend group is kind of moving on without us. And then we had this weird experience where they had all planned this like weekend getaway. And it was like literally the entire friend group, plus some other people. 
minus us. And they were like whispering about it while I was present instead of just coming out and telling me. And so there were all these like kind of things showing up going, hmm, I don't know what's going on here. Well, fast forward even a couple more months. And I was just like, you know what? I just need to bring up like something feels like it's off. Right. So I decided my sister was also coming to the weekly girls nights and everything. I talked to her, talked to some, you know, people I trusted and was just like, I think I'm going to bring something up. So I go to the girls night. Um, this was like a weekend in November, early November, 2020. And I just said, listen, you know, um, there's like 10 or 11 girls sitting in a circle. And I said, listen, you know, I just want to bring something up. I, you know, so value your friendships and here's all the ways in which you really made Austin a home for me. And I've been feeling like, you know, something's going on. Like we haven't, you know, and I'm like, I'd love to just know, like, did I do something like what, you know, so we can clear the air. And they proceeded to go around the circle, every single girl, except for my sister and one other woman basically shared all the reasons they didn't like me. And like, just (laughs) kind of went on like a character assassination. I mean, if that sounds overly dramatic, but it was a version of that. My sister was just so mad afterwards, right? Just listening to that. And this other woman was like, what on earth? Like she seemed to be the only other one that was not partaking in that. Did you know the other woman? They go around and they're sharing like all the reasons they were using a lot of like very, they were coaches and things like that, which shocked me. Um, And they were using a lot of so-called conscious language. Like I just don't resonate with this and, you know, so on and so forth. And I was just like in shock. Like there was so little kindness, empathy, or even like taking responsibility for anything on their side. It was very one-sided and there were not real, a lot of real reasons given why it was just like, you know what I'm saying? Things they didn't like or resonate with about me. So by the end of that circle, I was literally in hysterical tears, like could not even catch my breath, like an extremely traumatic state. So anyway, pull myself together and leave basically at the end of the night. And I ended up taking a couple different people to dinner after that, being like, hey, I'd love to get to the bottom of this and what really happened. And there wasn't much underneath. That was the crazy thing to me. It was like, okay, yeah, there was this couple of things they pointed out about, you know, how I showed up in this situation or that situation. And I was like, okay, great. Like I'm I want that feedback so I can do better. And there wasn't that much there. And so it, it got me going, like, what? the heck happened? Like, how does this even happen? So I've had years now, by the way, to think about this process. It, like I said, took me about a year before I could talk about it without crying. And I have a lot of great support in my life and, but it was super traumatic. Um, and then another, probably let's see, that was late 2020. Yeah. It was sometime last year, I think 2022, like in the summer that I finally like shared the story publicly after making sure, you know, nobody, everybody was locked on social media. Like I didn't name any names. I was very balanced about the way I shared it. And like literally hundreds of people replied to that post. It was overwhelming. Um, So anyway, looking back and what I've learned about the way these things happen, I believe there's a psychology term for it, but I don't know it. My mom comes from a coaching perspective. And so we've talked a lot about it and it's something she calls, um, can't even think of the word right now, But basically, when two or more people align on a view of someone, okay, so two or more people get together and they start talking like, oh, you know, McKenna's this way and did you da 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 and that starts to happen and they think it's harmless, right? 
but McKenna has no idea this is going on. Okay. And nobody ever comes to her about it. People are talking over here and then some other girl gets involved and they all start talking. And this might happen over weeks or months and it seems harmless at first. But what begins to happen is a dynamic starts to happen in the group. And this dynamic literally will break down friendships in not only friendships, by the way, this happens in companies, this happens in families, this happens in every situation, every kind of relationship dynamic you can imagine. And not only with women, it also happens with men, but it tends to happen, unfortunately, more with women. So we've seen this, um, a company that my husband used to work for a couple of years ago, totally folded and went under suddenly because the exact same thing happened with the founders. They got opinions about each other. And instead of going and talking to each other about it, they started talking to other people, things started to devolve, and eventually they were in legal battles over everything that had happened there. So it's this interesting dynamic because it starts out seemingly fairly harmlessly, but it literally over time. And that's why when I went back, there was almost nothing underneath it. And one of the couples actually said to us when we took them out to dinner, you know, two on two, they were like, we're so sorry. They apologized then that we didn't just bring these little things up to you when they came up because we see that it just became this whole thing. Right. So I thought, I think that's interesting to just kind of understand what's going on there, because it also gives us a clue as to how to prevent these kinds of things from happening in your own friend groups, which I can talk about more. I'm That's so interesting. And I think it like resonates with me so much because although I never got any sort of closure or fake closure or whatever you want to call it, which, you know, for someone <laughs> with diagnosed anxiety. I need to know why. Like I, I can't just leave something on, you know, with, that just doesn't have an end. I need to know why. And that that unknowing ate at me for so long. But that, like whatever that psycholo- psychology term is, makes so much sense because I imagine that's what happened with me and, and the people who who turned on me so suddenly is that it it's one of those things where I don't know if you felt this but I so I I mentioned I had I have anxiety and in the past this anxiety manifested in that like again because I had this anxious attachment with friendships I if I didn't get text back after you know 15 minutes or if it did, the text back didn't include enough emojis or explanation points, I'd be like, I'd read into it and I'd be like, oh my God, they're mad at me. They hate me, blah, blah, blah. And then I would ask, are you mad at me? They'd be say, no. And then it they'd grow resentment because I would be asking if they're mad at me. Uh, but because these, you know, people I'm referring to, this was in college before I started taking medication for the anxiety, they they understood. Um, they'd be like, Zoe, stop. I'm not mad at you. You know, they'd kind of put me in my place. And I think what was hard with this is that beginning in like January of 2022, so about six months to nine months before complete, you know, social dropping of me, so to speak, is I started to get that feeling of like, I think they're mad at me for some reason. I can't pinpoint it. And then, you know, but 
also, oh no, it's probably my anxiety talking because my anxiety is always talking. But in my gut, I always had this sense of like, they're, I don't know why, but they're, I think they're mad at me. And I pushed it to the side because I was like, it's my anxiety getting in the way. You know, why would they be mad at me? I didn't do anything. And, and even when I would try to like bring it up, it, it nothing, there's nothing ever said until way back in November when I had just at that point basically been coasting along knowing that these people for some reason just hated me or seemed like they hated me and and not even confronting about them about that, but wanting to and or wanting to at least just like catch up and say like, how have you been? And if it came up, you know, then, then maybe we could talk about it and then just being completely shut down and kind of what it seems like you said, like you were so vulnerable in, in asking, you know, for, I guess, constructive feedback, so to say, in, in front of 11 women, just to be told that you're a bad person. And I think that like, that's what happened to me in, in a different way of, but of it being turned on me of being like, you bring around heavy and dark energy that I don't want to be around. Mm. Even though I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Like I, and I think that was just the big shocker was how quickly it was made to be a me problem instead of like, instead of taking any accountability of the unanswered texts and the dropping the ball and the not showing up to my birthday party and, and all these things. And I think. It- well, and here, here's the distinction too, between it's like that kind of, you know, messaging that you got when you asked um, or the kind of messaging I got, which was similar. I mean, it wasn't the, those words, but it was similar in the fact that it was like, we just don't resonate with you or this thing about you or whatever. And it was like very, kind of vague for one thing, like what does that even mean, heavy and dark energy, right? There's nothing constructive in that because it's not like clear feedback, you know? Clear feedback is like, hey, when you did this thing, it made me feel this way or it had this impact on me or when you show up and, you know, like this, then this is what happened and that's, you know, so that's like clear feedback first. And then like you're saying, there's also the component of them taking responsibility for their part, which a lot of people don't or won't do. Um, So that's the distinction. Now on the other side, I want to say that there were things for me to work on. Like there were things that they shared that I went, oh, okay, here's how I didn't show up the way I would like to. Um, as a friend or, you know, in this situation, I could see why that made them uncomfortable or whatever it was. So I do want to take full ownership of that. And I really looked at all that and the the months that that passed, I went down a pretty dark road with it. I don't know about you of like really not liking myself for a time, like really going to a, a, a pretty heavy, dark place with it. But here is the gift on the other side. And I do want to talk about, you know, we want to talk about what can we do about all this and how can we empower women? But let me just share this one thing, which is Going through that was one of the hardest things I've gone through, especially as an adult. And um, like I said, went to some pretty gnarly places internally, really didn't feel good about myself. And I don't know if this is because I had great support around me or if it was my own navigating through this somehow or God or the universe helping me out. 
But I came out the other side of that after I would say a good year and a half or so um, with such a knowing of who I am. I really looked at, I even looked at my shadow, you know, and that's something that we don't talk about a lot as people, but it's natural. We all have our shadow side. We all have the shitty things about ourselves, right? Our bad habits or whatever. So I looked at all that and at first I hated it, right? And I judged myself and I, right? Um, But then I came through that and I went, you know what? Now I really know myself. I know the good things about me. I know the shitty things about me, right? And I know how it can be used against me. Mm. And I really came to this place eventually where I was like, you know what? I really like myself. I really love myself. And so in that, it was like I, I went through this crucible of an experience. And on the other side, though, it gave me such a gift, right? And I think any challenging experiences we go through have the capacity, like the the they can plant the seed for that if we can navigate through them um, in time. But I just want to share that it was like it really, like again, I I learned so much from it, and it it really became the foundation for me stepping into a whole nother version of myself. And this is kind of that death and rebirth thing I wanted to talk about, like the reinvention thing of like yeah, go, we go through these cycles. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, so true. I I think it's interesting. You brought up like shadow selves and that's something I like as a student studying social work slash psychology, like I'm really interested in because I think a lot of times people, when they don't understand their shadow selves, that's kind of what makes them have that capacity to hurt others is that they, mm-hmm unknowingly see parts of themselves they don't like in other people and then take out their anger on those people and if you don't really under if you don't know yourself or aren't aware of both the good and the you know the the parts of you that maybe need work then you will won't understand why they're doing that but if you're able to connect the dots and say okay well you know um, like this person and I have some similarities both in our strengths and our weaknesses and this person probably sees parts of themselves that they don't like in me which I've come to terms with I've forgiven myself for or I'm working on and I know that but they don't know that and hurt people hurt people so I think just knowing that is at least what has helped me kind of get past some of these. Yeah. I would say I wasn't even there yet. Like I, I, I don't think I'd seen or forgiven myself for a lot of those things. I wasn't in awareness of a lot of those things. So I can see looking back where I showed up, not terribly in any way, but I showed up and not the best version of myself in certain situations. And, you know, the difference is, and then that's, you know, that's some of the stuff that they brought to me later. I think the, the difference there is, you know, if that had happened in my friends with my friends in San Diego, they would have brought it to me and said, Hey, like you kind of messed up there. Yeah. Like you didn't show up as a great version of yourself. Cause we all have those moments. Right. And instead they went and started the the talk and the everything that ended up breaking everything down. So that's kind of, as we go to like how to, you talk, you want to talk about like how to empower women or how to like, you know, prevent these kinds of things. Um, 
one thing I would say is it starts with empowering yourself, like loving yourself, looking at, um, and, and being willing to look at, like I said, the shadow side, the parts of you that don't show up well, or, you know, when you're not great self shows up looking at that and coming to a place where you can forgive and love yourself anyway, and also have more awareness of it. So it's not showing up unconsciously. And then also loving, like loving the great parts of yourself and then stepping more and more into a lot of the work I do with women, which was in my, you know, one liner you said at the beginning is like helping women become who they want to be. Because when we become the person we want to be, then we naturally take the actions that create the life that we desire, right? And attract the people that we we want. So that's kind of first is like, I think it starts with us. And then the big thing in group dynamics is that, you know, gossip is a four letter word and we don't think what we're doing is gossip a lot of the time. So that's the way people excuse themselves from it. They're like, oh, I don't gossip. And I say, well, do you talk about other people when they're not present in in a way that's anything other than a hundred percent empowering? And they go, hmm. Well, maybe sometimes, right? Yeah. That's what I consider gossip, right? If you're talking about someone else, hey, if you're talking about someone else where they're not there and you were talking them up and you're like, this person rocks and here's this or that, you know, fine. Or if you need to talk through something with a close loved one to to like get clear on what to do about it, great. But then don't just let that live in that space. You go to the person directly. That is how we heal this is is having people start to go talk to each other directly. And that can be, you know, challenging and people don't want to do that. And that's, you know, that's so much of it. But that is huge. If we heal that, if women, especially women, because women are notorious for this, stop talking about each other or anyone, men or women, when they're not present, unless they're doing it in an empowering way, then we will begin to heal that this dynamic basically. Yeah, that's so true. And I I think that's so interesting that it, I mean it reminds me of the Eleanor Roosevelt quote of like I will have to google it but like something good idea like ideas versus people and I think it's it, it all goes back to like if you're bringing to the, if the only thing you feel that you can bring to a conversation with someone who you consider a friend is like bashing someone else or talking badly about someone's, you know, looks, personal life, romantic life, whatever, it shows that there's maybe not as much depth in that relationship as you want. Because if- Yeah, maybe- not even just talking badly, like it might, it might seem harmless, but again, is it a hundred percent empowering? Are you really talking that person up? That's the distinction. But you're right. Sometimes when people start to make the shift, they have no idea what to talk about. Yeah. They have no idea what to talk about. But that's a good challenge to have, right? You get to learn. I know the quote you're talking about, it's something about like something people talk about people, something people talk about ideas. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's a great, great quote. Um, and yeah, so it is like, what do you talk about then? And by the way, like I'm talking from the how do we heal this from a more holistic standpoint, but what do you do when you're in a dynamic, a friend group, right? Where this is happening or where you're around friends that are always talking about other people. I think that's important to touch on as well. The first thing is you only 
you can't sort of control anybody else, right? You can't change anyone else. So you can stop on your own and you could say little things from time to time without being judgmental, but just like, you know, make it about you. Like I just, you know, I really am starting this thing where I only talk about people in an empowering way when they're not around. Mm-hmm. And they'd be really like, oh, you're weird, like whatever. And it's like, cool. Like that's just my thing, right? So you might be sitting there silently a lot, or you might have to find different conversation topics or things to lead people toward, but that's one way to start kind of creating, creating that dynamic. And then I think there are times, you know, I'm not really of the camp of like, cause a lot of the, what happens a lot, especially with women that come and work with me is they are evolving quickly, right? They are like becoming this next version of themselves and going for more of their dreams. And as they do that, I was just on a call this morning with a woman who her sister and one of her friends are both being like really rude and mean, you know, because she's made all these changes and they're feeling threatened or they're feeling not, you know, needed or who who knows why, right? And there was subtlety in this because I said to her in my work, it's always like, what is your part that you play too? Mm-hmm. So I said to her, you know, what's the part that you play in this? And she said, well, I guess on some level, like maybe they don't feel as needed by me anymore or something like that. And I said, um, basically what we got to in the end is like a part of her felt like her life had gotten so great. And of course she wanted them to experience that. And so she would talk about how it changed and all these things. And I said, yes, Anne, you have to understand that from their experience, it feels like you don't think they're good enough and you're judging them and you think they should be more like you. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. And so I said, you know, is there a way for you to be connected with them in a way where they still feel needed and loved and, you know, connected to you? And can you find ways to meet them? So there is this interesting dynamic as you evolve, right. And have these shifts and changes in your life where if you want to keep those relationships alive, and I don't believe in just dropping people unless it's really a toxic or, you know, not a good thing for you, then we get to find new ways to be in relationship with people. Um, and I think there's also room for finding new friendships and find, you know, starting to, you can keep those old friendships alive if you want to in limited capacity, in limited capacity. But I really recommend like, go find people who do empower you, right? Go get in rooms. I host women's events here in Austin right now. Unfortunately, I'm moving back to San Diego, but I'll start hosting them then. And maybe when I come back into town, I'll be doing them. But I started a group called Women Empowering Women in Austin because I was just like, women need a place they can come or events they can come to where they know the other women are all about empowering each other. And women come to these events and they make amazing friends, right? Because they set the container of this is this is how we work here. And these are the kinds of women we want here. Yeah. Not that other women can't be that, right? But um, I feel like I'm kind of rambling now. But anyway, that's that. those are some things I think that people can do um, about these kinds of dynamics or if they have um, these kinds of friends in their life. Yeah. I will say that's one thing I think I'm, that's one thing I love about myself is I think it's, you know, like there's that, I keep making all these quotes that I don't know the actual quote, but it's like, be you want to be surrounded by people who will share your name in a room full of opportunities. I, I think that's the quote. And I think I am that person. I do think that whether it's, you know, a friend or someone I just met, if, if I think they'll get along with someone else, or if I think they're perfect for this job I hear about, or if I think blah, 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 I will make that connection. I will say their name. I will 
do that. And I, and I do think that's something that, I mean, not to be like, oh, I'm this, you know, all mighty, amazing person, but I do think that it is a quality habit I really do treasure. And I think it's something that other people should practice in. And it's easy to do if, you know, just if you hear about something and it reminds you of a friend or you think your friend could benefit from it, letting them know and, and celebrating even or as something as little as just like celebrating someone else's wins. Or if you feel like, you know, if your friend shares um, a job promotion with you or something else and you all of a sudden get that feeling of schadenfreude or like, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want them to be happy or, or just examine that in yourself before acting on it on them. And that yeah. practicing of compassion and celebration, I think you is always super say the, the more that you're getting what you want, the more you want other people to get what they want too. I love the that. The more you're not getting what you want, the more you unconsciously don't want other people to get what they want either. So that thing you're talking about of the schadenfreude is like, like you're saying, that's an opportunity to go, hmm, where am I not living fully like self-expressed or where am I not getting what I want in some way that I'm on some level feeling like, and we all have those moments, right? We're not saints or we're online and we're comparing ourselves or whatever, but it's like, I always use those as an opportunity to go, hmm, anything you admire about someone else and anything that triggers you in someone else, kind of like you were talking about earlier, both opportunities to look in and go, hmm, like, what is that telling me about myself? And how do I get to like take responsibility for my own life and really like fulfilling that, that thing in me? And I would say one last kind of thought here, unless you have questions, is um, I know that when you're going through something like this, the world can seem really small. And it feels like, oh my God, these were like the people, you know what I'm saying? Like, how will I ever find new friends? Or how will I ever find people that, you know, same when people are looking for a relationship, how will I ever find a guy that's like this way? It's like, we start to think in this kind of scarcity thinking of like, they're not out there. And I just want you to know, like, to just instill some hope. I work with a lot of people all over the world and there are incredible incredible women out there and men and all genders, right? And just incredible people out there. And the the biggest tip I have for finding those great friendships is to like look for people who share your values, you know, go do things that you enjoy. And, you know, if you don't drink like you, then go to gatherings with people who don't drink and like see, you know, you're going to meet more interesting people with more aligned values for me, like personal development and coaching. And these people were in that space, but I got clear about some values even deeper than that. Yeah. Like in those, in those people, like, oh, they need to be walking their talk in these ways. And they need to be the kind of people who bring things up in a converse, you know, bring things up if it's going on. Right. So certain things that were important to me. Um, and so, yeah, I really just encourage people like it, it can feel really daunting. Um, but there's, amazing people out there. Even if you live in a small town, even if whatever, like you can make friends online these mm-hmm. days and go visit them. Like there's, there's so there's 8 billion people in the world. I promise you, your people are out there. I love that. And I think that's such a great reminder because it is really easy to fall into that trap. And I've certainly been there and I've certainly thought like Austin's too small, blah, blah, blah. And, and now as I, I mean, I'm moving back to New York and I think because I've just had such an amazing two months here so far and, you know, spring, um, three month remainder is, is like just, it's, it's 
given me back that hope and and I felt I've felt so like loved here and I've I think I've like really healed and I'm and I'm proud of myself for pushing through those hard times because yeah it's been worth it on the other side. Yeah. Amazing. And I love that you're sharing this message and yeah, getting and just being so open and vulnerable on your show so people can connect and resonate, you know, because I know a lot of people listening have had, you know, similar experiences. So it's very courageous. Thank you so much. So in 2023, I'm really trying to kind of amp up my health and fitness routine from a holistic perspective. And one of the ways I've been doing this is with Oro, which is an app providing a one-stop shop for different types of virtual fitness and wellness rituals. Um, I don't know if any of y'all are fans of the account Sweats in the City. Um, when I was living in New York, I practically, you know, it was practically like my Instagram Bible. And I just look up to Elizabeth and Dale so much as female entrepreneurs um, and just like what they've created. So Oro, if you don't know, was created by them. And so it has all of their favorite boutique fitness and self-care classes in one place. All videos are live, um, but they're also on demand. So you can watch it anytime uh, from anywhere. There's over 500 classes and instructors to to choose from. And they're all of my favorite types of classes like Pilates, bar, sculpt, um, and then more wellness things like meditation and sound baths. Um, Yesterday, I did this amazing Pilates slash meditation class with Natasha and it was exactly what I needed. It's freezing outside and I didn't want to, you know, pay for a day pass at the gym. And so I'm just so glad that I have this app. And again, it's also really cheap. That is like the best part. I was paying for class pass previously and it's like, okay, you, you know, pay a certain amount of month for a certain amount of credits, but those credits don't don't get you very far, especially in like a place like New York. And so if you uh, download the app, it's only $19 a month, but you can get $5 off your first month and a free week trial by using the promo code ZOESCUR. So that's Zoe, Z-O-E-S-C-U-R, all one word, and you'll get, it'll be basically $14 for an unlimited amount of classes for a month and an extra free week. So highly encourage that you check it out. And if you have any questions, let me know. So I always wrap up with a couple of questions somewhat related mm-hmm. to the podcast. Take them as you will. First question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? And maybe like with the caveat of like, not this. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, that one. Um, and one thing that's happened to me that's made me a stronger person today. I think going through the burnout, anxiety, like health issues cycle that I went through and then ultimately getting the courage and the support to to make a shift into work that I loved was super scary. It was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, but I've come out the other side like such a different person and just on fire to help other people, you know. That's awesome. And I think that's so parallel to what you just said about, you know, the world feeling so small when you feel like you've been dropped from a friend group or something like that. It's really easy to feel like you're alone in your struggle when you're in a dark place, but just remember that you can reach out and that vulnerability is an act of strength. And um, it's, you know, another good reminder of just 
Like you will get through it. It's just sh- a shitty time while you're going through it. Yeah. I want to say one thing about that just because I went through like a different kind of transition last year where I like totally shifted the way I was working and what I was doing like within my coaching because I love the work I do, but I realized some things had gotten out of alignment and it was really scary when I was in it. And so having gone through multiple of these kind of what I call death and rebirth cycles or these times when I felt this call to something more or something needed to change and then going through that exactly what you're saying it was like in the experience it felt so lonely and felt like nobody and like I couldn't talk about it kind of or people didn't really you know I did with close people but and I was like I wish there was like a map to this like you know we have the stages of grief I was like what if there was something around and maybe there is but I made something up anyway what if there was something around the stages of transition like of these these growth cycles we go through and so I created something called it the seven stages of transition and I haven't released anything around this yet, but I'm I'm going to birth a really like accessible price point program around this because around like the person you're stepping into and like how to navigate these times in your life when you feel like you're going through kind of a death and rebirth in some way. Um, so I just want to share that there's like literally nothing created yet, but it's going to happen in the next couple months. If you're listening to this and you're like, I got to know what that is, then you can definitely reach out to me. Should I give my email address? You want to put it in like the the yeah, um, towards the end, I'll, I'll show put it, notes or something. Yeah, I'll yeah put it in the show perfect. Notes. Uh, my next question is: Do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Hmm. Off the top of my head, I'm sure I do. I'm just trying to think of what it is. Favorite quote or a mantra? Hmm. I mean, the one that pops into my mind. This is my mom's favorite quote. So. <laughs> is whatever you can do or dream you can begin it. Boldness has genius power and magic in it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's it's attributed to Goethe, uh, but I think, no, I think that part actually is Goethe. There's a longer quote that is by W.H. Murray that's often put with it, but it's a great one. So when I found the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, it's great. Oh, good. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Right on. Happy I found that because I've been butchering that for a long time. Um, Next question is, what do you love most about yourself? My heart. I'm a very loving, fiercely, fiercely dedicated to the people that I love, to my clients, really to everyone I meet these days um, in any way that I can be. But I'm a very, very loving, fiercely loving person, I would say. You come across that like that. So that's good to hear that you recognize that. When's your birthday? August 2nd. Leo. Leo. Okay. I was going to say when you were saying fiercely, I was like, I'm I'm getting a Leo vibe. (laughs) Yeah. Some kind of fire sign, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm a Leo moon and Aries rising. So I have a lot of fire in my chart. Nice. And last question, which is the name of the podcast is how do you find solace in the city? And that can be. Austin, San Diego, Hawaii, wherever, New York, wherever, you know, or just in general, like what brings you peace? Hmm. For me, my family is big for me. I think it can be friendships as well. I'm a people person, you know, it was interesting when you were saying that thing earlier of like the finding something within yourself, you know, that quote you were talking about. And I was like, you know, I believe in that to some degree, of course, like loving ourselves, getting to a place where we're whole and complete in some sense within ourselves. And I believe that we're social creatures. Like that's how we 
are, you know? And so for me, it is like finding those people, even if you only have one in the world at any given time, and that's the person you can call and you can, you know, um, that's, that's how I find solace is like great conversations and being there for people and having them show up and be there for me. That's amazing. And yeah, I'd have to agree. People are very important um, to me as well. Just good conversations. So I have this podcast. Um, yeah. Where can everyone follow you, work with you, plug everything? Um, even though you're leaving Austin, I'm sure you do remote sessions. And so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of places, but I would say Instagram, if you want to follow me, it's at McKenna Sage, M-A-K-E-N-A-S-A-G-E. And then I'll just give out my email address because people can just email me directly if they're, you know, curious about anything, really have any kind of questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, it's McKenna, so M-A-K-E-N-A at followyouroliveness.com. Followyouroliveness.com. And I'll put that all in the show notes as well. McKenna, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It was so serendipitous meeting you like right when I got back to Austin and mm -hmm. I think it, like our conversation really put me on the track to what has been such a great year so far. And I'm really um, grateful, you know, that our paths crossed and we got to do this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to, it's the first time I've really spoken on a podcast about this topic. So it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks. And bye everyone.